and then all of a sudden I get a text from a woman, and I thought it was from Pakistan, but it was actually from India, and she said, we've been up through the night praying for you. And I could, if I had my phone, I could give you the, the, what she said exactly, but it was kind of like this. We've been up through the night praying for you, Pastor, and she said, the Lord says that he is raising up a new or a fresh leadership generation. And what he is giving you now, not to be afraid of what he's laying in front of you. And I'm like, how did she know? She lives in India. But God knows. How, how many knows what God, God knows what you're thinking? And God knows how to take care of it. So I want you to go with me. Now, how many ever had that happen, that you're, you're thinking something, going through something, and somebody will walk up, and it's not through gossip or hearsay or this, that, or the other, Maybe a complete, total stranger, and I walk up and say something to you, and you know that's God. Could be a child. Could be a child. The other day, we was, had, uh, had the joy of having, well, it's always a joy, any of the grandkids to come over, and Eli was over there, and Phyllis said something like, uh, I don't know, I forgot what she said, something was stupid, or something she said like that. And Eli said, oh, don't talk those words. He, like, and Phyllis looked at me, and she laughed. She said, I can hear Kelsey Marie coming out of him. And I said, yes, you can. <laughs> but God has a way of, of getting us to the point that he wants to bring across. And you heard me touch on it a second ago. And I'm going to try to stay a little bit calmer than normal. Um, I've had stitches on my eyelid, and they don't want me to get real excited, but I'm not going to promise anything. Okay. Okay, amen, it's all right. But So the ideal of it is, is I want you to go with me into the book of John, the gospel of John, chapter 1. Book of John, chapter 1. And I want you to kind of see how the John start laying this out. You realize that the, uh, all of them had identification markers. How many members, when that they went through the, the wilderness, that all the tribes had a flag that they flew over their camps? One was a lion, one was an a ox, one was a, a man, and the other one was an eagle. Well, you may not realize this, but when you read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can find those same symbols over those four men. So in other words, it was God saying, I'm going to, I'm going to bring my people through with leadership with the different personifications that I identified all the way back there. And so the one, I think it's Mark... Uh, Matthew identifies as a lion, lion of the tribe of Judah. He gives the genealogy. And then you have Mark, who is identified as, the, as, the, as a man, or, or I think it's the ox. I, I might have him backwards. And then Luke, Luke, I think, is the one that identifies him with the hands because he created, Luke talks about miracles. And Luke, by the way, wasn't a Jew. Luke wasn't a Jew. Luke uh, wasn't a physician like you think it, that is taught. Uh, Luke was a private physician of a family, and it was taken in later, and Luke actually came from Syria. And I know a lot of people don't realize that, but you understand, and I, I don't know about you, but I, I like to get down to the nuts and bolts of things. 
I like to find out what it's really talking about because so much of what we have heard down through the years have been uh, linked to s traditions and, and, and this, that, or the other. But I like to find out what they were really talking about. And that's why I dig so much into their original language because I want to get the feel, the taste, the smell. When it talks about cedars, I like to smell those cedars. When it talks about the waters, I like to feel the spray of that of that uh, 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 Sea of Galilee spraying up over the bow of the ship, you know. You understand what I'm saying? I like to get the, the honest feel of it. So when you see the identification of those different ones that come down through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, John, he begins his words, and he's describing something that unlike the others, others gave genealogies, others gave healings and, and the works. Mark talked about the work. I think Mark was the, the one that was identified with the ox, and uh, he identifies the work of Christ, the works of him. And then you have... Luke identifies the hands. And then you have John. John, are you following me? John was identified with that eagle. And so what is that talking about? John didn't bring it down. John elevated it to the next level. How many knows that we should go from glory to glory? That we should be advancing and growing in the kingdom of God. Our minds should never stop advancing in the word of God or in the kingdom of God. When we get static or, 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 or stagnant or static in the presence of God, it's an, it's an identifier that says something is, is, is being taught, but yet you don't need to get stuck there. Now, how many of those, we got a lot of babies in this room, little children, and, um, uh, and I'm excited to have more coming along. We're not the abortion clinic here. We're pro-life. Hello. That may shock some of you, but it's true. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I think somebody needs to stand up and say something in these days. Amen. So anyway, so, so, but if those children, if those little babies, you know, when they turn six months and I've got a little granddaughter and she's almost six months old and I can see her graduating from, from just laying there to wanting to roll over to gooing and gawing and smiling the biggest smile when me or her dad walks in the room and speaks to her, she just smiles all over herself. And of course it don't melt my heart any. But she's just this little joy. But if it stayed there, when she was six months old and was still acting like she's a month old, I would start thinking something's not right here. So when we don't grow, when we don't advance, when we don't move forward in the things of God, is there something that is lacking or something that is stagnant or stale in our lives? Hello, somebody. It is no different. How many knows that the scripture even bears witness to what I'm saying? Because he said that he's given to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the edifying of the saints till we all come into the unity of the faith to the knowledge, to the knowledge coming into that. And you may think you know all there is to know, but the older I get, the more I realize, the less I did know. Hello, somebody. And I've, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I'm okay with that because it opens the doors wide open for God to show me whatever he wants to show me. And, and, and sometimes I'm like, whoa, why didn't I see that before? And there is a time and a season for everything. Do you remember when Jesus told a group there, he said, I've got a lot of stuff to tell you or show you, but you're not able to receive it yet. 
And the Bible says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has in store or prepared for them that what? Love him. And how many of you love him? That wasn't 100%. Did you, did you hear that little golf clap? The ideal of it is, is we should love him passionately and without reservation, more than anything else. If I asked you if you love your wife, your children, or your husband, or your job, well, maybe not your job. You would be most likely, like, yes, I love them dearly. Ask me how much I love my grandchildren. Well, go ahead and ask me. I love them a bunch. I mean, I, I'm just, I just can't hardly stand it when I get around them. I just love them so much. And, uh, you know, it shows. And they know it. They know I love them. Amen. Uh, as big as Jackson and Hudson are, when they come and spend the night and their mom comes to get them or their dad comes to get them, they don't want to go home. And after three days, I'm going like, please. Please. Go home. <laughs> The ideal of it is, what I'm trying to say to you is, is that God has a way of advancing. And so in the book of John, which I'm going to dive into right now, are you all ready to go swimming? So when you do, look, get in the book of John, it starts unveiling something. John starts off saying things like this. Listen to what it says. And I'm reading out of the, uh, I'm reading out of a different translation. And I'm not reading out of the King James. Nothing wrong with King James. Nothing wrong with Amplified. But I have a different translation that I'm reading out of. And it starts off like this. In the beginning, the living expression was already there. And the living expression was with God. You can put, oh, do we have a computer? It's not even set up. Okay. Uh, and the living expression was with God and yet fully God. Did you hear that? The living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face. In every, in the very beginning. And, and through his creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existence apart from him. A fountain of life was in him. For his life is, the, is light for all humanity. And this light never fails to shine through darkness, light that darkness could not overcome. Suddenly a man appeared who was sent from God, a messenger named John. He's talking about John the Baptist. For he came as a witness to point the way to the light of life and to help everyone believe. John was not that light, but he came to show, uh, show who is that light. You understand, what, so what, what is he doing here? John, John is, is giving us an, a, a, an explanation of the deity and the, and the Christ, God, expressed through the face of Christ. Can you say that with me? God expressed through the face of Christ. So you remember what, what they, Philip asked Jesus? He said, show us the Father. And what was Jesus' response? Have I been with you so long and you don't know who I am yet? Come on, come on. So when you look at Christ, you are seeing the full expression because Colossians, Paul said in the Colossians that he is the, he is the Godhead fully expressed through Jesus Christ. In him dwells the fullness, if I say the fullness, not lacking in any area at all, that, that Jesus is the fullness of God expressed through Jesus Christ. So when you're talking to Jesus, in essence, you are talking to God. Well, it's quiet in here. 
You are talking to him in a way, and you are he's expressing himself to you. He's expressing himself to humanity. And John goes to great lengths to express this, this deity and this extreme, beautiful characteristics of Almighty God. Um, he, he, was the, he was the word that was self-revealing and the expression of God Almighty. Everything was waiting for this moment. The crescendo, the high point of everything was going to be uh, pinpointed right in Jesus Christ. And when he came, he didn't come doing what others thought he would do. He came healing the sick and raising the dead, casting out devils and bringing those that were in bondage and broken and crippled up out of those dark places. Come on, somebody. Ain't nobody can do me like Jesus can. Look at somebody say, nobody can do me like Jesus can. I'm not preaching some weird doctrine. I'm giving you the expression of what John is explaining here in the Gospels. Now, you can read it in King James or Amplified or any other. I, I grew up reading uh, of the King James out of the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Like that was it, you know. That was the whole thing right there in a nutshell. That's, that's it. No other Bible like that. And I realized I found a, a, an original 1611 King James Bible for sale. They only wanted $20,000 for it. So I thought, well, I'll just, I'll put this out there and maybe somebody in the church would buy it and we both can read it after you learn how to speak that kind of English. Because the English that we speak today was not even thought of back in that time. Especially in Jesus' time. So John, John is expressing to fullness the expressed image of God Almighty. He's coming to express himself in ways that we have never seen him before. So John takes this time to express him. Everybody say he came to express himself. Look at, turn with me. Somebody turn over to first uh, to Colossians um, uh, uh, 1 and 15. Somebody turn over there real quick and read that. Just When you get it, just jump up and start reading it real quick. Read loud. Colossians 1 and 15. Got it? Read loud. Firstborn of every creature. What's the next verse? Go ahead. All fullness of what? All fullness of the Godhead. Amen. Right. All fullness of who God is is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Everything is in Him. Look at somebody say, everything's in Him. Amen. And see, this is what John in chapter one come to reveal. Now, there's we're getting we're we're you may not realize it, but I've invited you all to get in this this this. Um, what are those things they float down the rivers? This what are those things? A, a raft tires kayak and we're all I'm inviting every one of you to get in this whatever you're swimming in to come down this river with me because I want to I want to show you what the spirit of God mapped out for me and as I begin to see this I looked at Phyllis my wife and I said how come I've never seen this before in all the years that I've preached and all the years I've been around with the preachers and been in church that doesn't mean I'm perfect but I've, all the years I've spent in this, I've never seen this before, and I've never heard anybody lay it out. Am I being honest? Because I shared a little bit with you. Listen, so here's what it says. John, John is laying out the deity and the Godhead and the fullness of Christ being the expression of God fully and completely. Now, Rob just read it to you, that it, it pleased the Father for the fullness of the Godhead to dwell in him. You, you can say amen every now and then. It's okay. 
So you, you want to so, so when John's explaining this, he gives all this, this grandiose ideal of the existence of the expression of God, uh, um, uh, Emmanuel, God with us, walking here on this earth, walking and talking here upon this earth. Then, now, now, we, now do we have that clear? Okay, so he, now he's coming to express himself. Christ is coming, God in Christ is coming to express himself to all of humanity, to give himself to everyone and to bring us into another light, to bring us into the level that we need to be at. So when you go to chapter 2, look what it says. So what happens here in chapter 2? And I'm telling you, I was excited to bring this out. I, they said, we're going to have church tomorrow. They said, it stinks in here. They called me last night. And I could hear someone in the background going, no. And I'm like, I can't wait any longer. i got to bring this word. So I don't care if it's two or three or two or three gathered together. We're going to be in the midst of the stinking all. So here's the idea. Because I feel like this really will set a precedence for you to see God in expression like you've never seen it before. So here John, again, Here's John, and I'm trying to really, really, really get this across to you. John is explaining the expression of who Christ is. He is God manifest in the flesh. He is God wrapped up in that body. Come on. He is God like no other. Hallelujah. There has been many, many that have come and gone, but Jesus is the expressed image of God. And I don't know about you, but he is saying literally what John is saying is you've seen him in fashions and forms. You've seen him in types and shadows, but now you're going to witness him face to face. Now you're going to see him face to face. And it's going to change every... Feel that all over me. I feel it like I got I got Texas uh, five gallon uh, 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 cowboy hat goosebumps. I, I feel it in my soul, Sean. And that here's God coming down face to face with his people. And all the years and centuries and generations and decades before, he came down in types and shadows, a cloud by day, a fire by night, an offering as a lamb or this, that, or the other, offered on. Come on, somebody. He was the brazen serpent raised upon the pole. He was a type and a shadow of the ark of uh, Noah's ark. He was a type and a shadow of the ark of the covenant. So many types and shadows. But now John's saying he's more than all of that he came down face to face with his people to express who he really is and we're going to see him like we've never seen him that's what John was saying so when you get to chapter 2 of the gospel of John it says and now everybody say on the third day the third day is Tuesday when they start their days of the week they started off Sunday's the first day, Monday's the second day, and Tuesday's the third day. Now, I could go into a lot of details about what the third day represents, but it says on the third day. When the Bible points something out like that, when it says exactly what day it was, when it gives you an exact um, uh, characteristic of what's happening, he's trying to tell you something. But we've been so busy, caught up in all kinds of stuff and arguing over doctrines or creeds or this, that, or the other that we've passed and we've glazed right over top of it. But so John says on the third day, everybody say on the third day. How many knows what happened on the third day? 
Jesus rose from the dead. But if you go all the way back into the book of Genesis, you will see that the Jews believed that the third day was significant because it's the only day in the days of creation that God blessed that day twice. Ah, there's something about that third day. When a Jewish uh, family has a wedding, it lasts usually from three days to seven days. Three days is the mark of God blessing it twice, twice blessed. I don't know about you, but I like being twice blessed. Hello, some double for your trouble. And then you get all the way over in the seventh day, and the seven, everybody knows, it speaks of perfection. So usually a Jewish wedding starts, uh, it lasts a minimal of three days, but usually extends out to seven days. So it says on the third day, Jesus' mother went into a wedding, and it was usually a family affair. Come on, somebody. And the reason he's telling this is because it's bringing us into the recognition of what's going on. And so what's happening here? And it says, It went to a wedding feast in the Galilean village of Cana. And Jesus and his disciples were all invited to the banquet. Of course, if Jesus comes, who's being a family member, everybody that's with him, you know, he's got to take his entourage with him. You know, you got to take your friends, your buddies, your pals. Hello, somebody. So um, he, they were invited to the banquet. But when so many guests, uh, they, with, with so many guests, they ran out of wine. Some of y'all licking your lips now. <laughs> they ran out of wine. Look at somebody say, they ran out of wine. <laughs> Unheard of. You don't run out of wine at weddings. But Jesus, knowing, all-knowing, went to this wedding knowing that they're going to run out of wine. And he, had, he knew that Mary was going to ask him to do a certain thing. He knew that. It wasn't a surprise to him. And so Mary, you, let's go a little further. They have, she said to Jesus, they have no wine. Can't you do something about it? Jesus replied, my dear one, mother, don't you understand that if I do this, it will change nothing for you, but it will change everything for me. My hour of unveiling, my power has not yet come. And he was really talking about what was coming three years from there. Mm. And Mary then went to the servants and told them, whatever Jesus tells you, do it. How many knows we need that preached in our churches today? Whatever he tells you, do it. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Just do it. Don't care if it's hard or easy or difficult or just do it. You might have to do it with a lot of baggage hanging on you, but just go ahead and do it. Doesn't matter what your past says. Doesn't matter what your future looks like. If he says to do it, just go ahead and do it. But just make sure it's him telling you to do it. Somebody say, yes, Lord. So he goes ahead and he says, and nearby stood six stone water pots. Now, something I want to explain to you. The water pots, there were six of them. How many knows the number of humanity? Six. Humanity is the number six. And that was, that was, there's a distinction there. It's third day, six water pots. What did he tell them to do? Fill them with what? Water, common water. Do you know what that water represented in those six water pots? The water in that wa those water pots represented the Torah, the laws of Moses, the things that could not bring them any joy because they kept trying to live according to the law of Moses, but they couldn't live up to it. There was just 613 laws, and we've got about 1,400, 1,500 spiritual applications in the New Testament now, but they couldn't live up to those laws. 
They couldn't live up to it. And it was a constant, every year they would have to come and sacrifice and it would be a constant reminder of their failure. It'd be a constant reminder that they weren't good enough. It'd be a constant reminder that they had fallen short of the, of the goal set before them. So the water in the water pots mm, represented the law of Moses. Are you following me? And the water pots represented humanity. And it's to say that those laws, that the teaching of the Torah, Jesus come to let them know, praise God, hallelujah, that the laws of Moses were not adequate enough to change humanity. So what he did, oh, th th that's good stuff, man. I feel the Holy Ghost on this. So what happened was, now remember the first miracle that Moses did in, in the land of Egypt? What, did, what was the first miracle? He turned the water into blood. What Moses was saying then is this blood represents death, a wrath. Are you following me? But what did Jesus turn the water into? He turned that water into wine. Moses' first miracle was turning water into blood, which represented death and dying and destruction. Jesus turns the water that represents the law of Moses in the six water pots that represents humanity into wine. Jesus is saying back there, praise God, all you had was death looking you and staring you in the face. He said, but I've come, praise God, oh hallelujah, I've come, praise God, to bring a spirit of joy, to bring a spirit of 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 of, of of lightheartedness and to bring you out of that bondage and to deliver you. And remember the response of the, oh, you can go ahead and give him some praise. Go ahead. Because that's exactly what the Lord has done. How many of you want to thank God for what he has done in your life that you no longer have to live under the spirit of heaviness? and a burden all the time that you're not good enough, you're not adequate enough. No, we are not, but what he has done for us makes us adequate. What he's accomplished on the cross. I, I said this to Debbie, maybe Dallas here, somebody the other night, Wednesday night, talking, even when we're cleaning up, we have to start talking about the word. And I said, isn't it amazing, Brother Boyce, that we can that we can believe that one man who is a man made out of the dust of the earth can bring everybody into sin, but we have the most difficult time of believing that God from heaven who came down, manifest in a form of a body, can bring all of us into the place and position of being righteousness of God. God. I'm here to tell you that what Jesus did outdoes and outdone, praise God, everything that Adam did. Praise God, you no longer have to live under condemnation. Once you submit your life to him, once you realize the greatness that he's done for you, you no longer have to live that way. Matter of fact, I'll be bold enough to say it like this. Not only do you not have to live that way, once you realize what he's done for you, you don't want to live that way anymore. Is anybody here today? So we have the marriage supper, Jesus turning the water into wine. We have him turning it into a symbol of the spirit of God and the spirit of joy. And what did one of the rulers say? He said, why have you saved? You see, all these things weren't just happenings. They're really prophetic utterances in their right, in their position. He said, why have you saved the best to last? Hello, somebody. Why has he waited till the end time to show us that we are free now. What, is, what did Paul say in Romans 8? There is therefore now. Now I know I'm going to offend some pharisaical spirits in here today. I already know that. That's why I said it a while ago. But that's what we're supposed to do. Jesus said if they hate me, they're going to hate you. He wasn't talking about the sinners. 
He's talking about that bunch of religious bunch that wasn't going to accept him for who he was and what he could do and what he was going to accomplish. Because they, that, that kind of mindset gave them control and manipulation over the people. The ideal of it is, is so, so what Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. In other words, if they didn't receive me, they're not going to receive you. They're not going to accept what you're saying about the, the ability that I have. But here I'm giving you a sign. I'm going to turn this water into wine so that it's a symbol that when I gather my people together, it's not going to be because of, the, of, of Moses' law. It's going to be because of a re revelation of the Spirit of God and the freedom that comes in the spirit of grace and power, righteousness, and glory. <sighs> Boy. We're real good at saying that God cannot, God, well, God don't see that. God can't look upon sin. It doesn't say that. It says he, he won't look favorably upon sin. Read it. The ideal of it is, is he is rolling this out. So you see that we go from John saying who Jesus is, the express image of God in the face of Christ, that comes to reveal himself to us, and the first thing he does is he gives us an example is I'm going to change all of that law into the spirit of grace and I'm going to turn this water into wine that represents humanity that I'm going to put the spirit of God in their lives and it's going to change everything. It's going to change the dynamics. How many knows that once you got born again, it changed everything? How many knows when the spirit of God gets inside of you, it changes your perspective? It changes your outlook. You don't dig in people's past. You don't dig in the, all that stuff back there. You let it go. I said, you let it go. Well, it got quiet in here. Yeah, but Brother Dave, it doesn't matter. Let it go. Look at somebody and say, let it go. Let it go. You may have somebody sitting next to you that might have killed somebody. Let it go. Me and Phyllis were talking last night. I, don't, I think it was yesterday, last night. But here's the idea. We preach about David. And David was a man after God's own heart. But David killed a guy and took his wife. And we'll preach about that. But see, with the church, we preach that, but we don't believe that. That he was a God, man after God's own heart. Because you know why? Because my wife said it. She said, that was good for David, but that ain't good for us. Paul murdered people. Paul gave consent. The guy that you follow in the Bible that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he gave consent to have people murdered for preaching Jesus. And we'll still follow him. We believe what he said. But let boys drink a beer, which I don't think he does. I don't believe he does. Hello. Well, let Gina, you know, let a cuss word come out of her mouth. I don't think she cusses. <laughs> and we're ready to throw them out of the church. I wish somebody would say, go ahead and preach. The ideal of it is, is that, that what we read, we don't apply. Because, well, that was for then. And we should, we, we should be further down the road. But the idea of it is, is we still have a tendency to hang on to people's faults and failures. Can I tell you that no matter how dark somebody's past is, you shouldn't hold it against them. Whew. That's a tall order. 
But with the Spirit of God, with that fresh turning of the wine into our lives, the Spirit of God coming into us, all of that is made a whole lot easier. Because in and of myself, man, vengeance is mine, saith pastor, until I got saved. And then it's all in God's hands. Look at somebody say, it's all in God's hands. So I want you to grab a hold of this. So you see the progression. We've gone from John revealing who the existence of Christ is, the face of God coming down to his people. The first thing he does is he gives them an example through the six water pots and the water pots, the water in the water pots being turned to wine, and he saved the best till the last. They were saying, man, this is good. We've tasted good wine up to this point, but man, you've saved this. This is top notch. This is the best. And I don't know about you, but I believe he saved the best till the last. I believe that we're here and we're right here right now and God has poured out on upon us so that we could be freer than we've ever been, delivered from the powers of darkness and the clutches of sin. Hallelujah. I wish somebody say, oh, listen, that picture sitting over here. Now, now we gave this picture away because we've been trying to give it to somebody and, and finally we gave it away. But this picture says it all right here. This picture says everything. He, the lion of the tribe of Judah roared against your darkness and he prevailed. He conquered the darkness over your life. And he started off by giving us examples that we have somehow or another ignored. Look at somebody say, the darkness is departing out of my life. Now, I'm looking at you, and you're looking. You're not willing to say that because you feel like, I'm going to just set this up here so you keep that picture in your mind. Because you feel like, well, I'm going through some stuff. It doesn't matter. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It doesn't matter what the enemy says. It doesn't matter what it does. Come on, somebody. You have been set free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So here's... So, so now we've got, we've got the face of Jesus, the existence of God, coming through Jesus Christ. He walks into the marriage supper of Cana and reveals that, that, that undeniable proclamation of changing the water into wine. That heaviness of the law of Moses into the law of the Spirit. New wine, the blood, the Spirit that brings life. Are you following me now? Now go to chapter 3. What's chapter 3, verse 1 say? What's the first thing you say? Shout it out. Huh? There. Nicodemus. You know what Nicodemus means? Conqueror. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Not only was he a Pharisee, he was one of the chief Pharisees. He was well educated. He was an expert in his field. He knew the law of Moses. Now watch the progression here. Now remember, we're floating down this stream. Don't throw your paddle away. We're floating down this stream, and you see, go from the existence, the revelation of the deity of Christ, the face of God with us, then you go to the marriage supper. Now, all of a sudden, what's he do? He's confronting Nicodemus, an expert in his field, a high edu highly educated Pharisee, a man of religion, a man that was probably trying to, trying to live the law the best he could. And not only was he uh, in the top of his category as a Pharisee, you know what a Pharisee was, don't you? They were the guys that dressed the part. But Jesus constantly condemned them. Jesus constantly said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You Sadducees and you Pharisees. He said, you Pharisees, you bunch of hypocrites. And he called them vipers at one point. He said, you whited sepulchers. You know what a whited sepulcher is, don't you? 
a whited sepulcher is a grave and it was against the law of Moses for them to walk over top of a grave. So in order for them, because they, would consider, they were considered unclean if they'd done that. So if they walked over top of a grave, they would be unclean. So what they would do is they would paint all the graves on the top white. They would bleach them white. So that if they were walking at night in the darkness and they saw a grave, they could, they wouldn't, they could walk around instead of being... He said, you're like whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, your foot are, you're full of dead men's bones. When you look up dead men's bones, he's saying to them, you're full of criticism. You're full of judgmentalism. You're full, you are full of criticism, judgmentalism, and you're not willing to let anybody get in, and you won't even go in yourself. All the way. Oh, I wish somebody said go ahead and preach. So when he Nicodemus comes to him, whose name means conqueror. Nicodemus was not only respected in the Pharisees, Nicodemus was respected in the Sadducean sect. There are two different groups of people. The Pharisees, they were the ones that believed the law of Moses, but yet they had what was called the oracle laws, laws that were commentaries about the laws, such as where it says, thou shalt not uh, plow uh, on the Sabbath. They wouldn't push a chair across the floor. Because they had dirt floors and it was considered, uh, if it displaced the dirt, it was considered plowing. So they wouldn't move a chair. They wouldn't do anything. They had all kinds of laws, all, you know, all kinds of commentaries on their laws. And then they dressed the part. They really dressed the part. But Jesus was saying your mind and your heart is full of criticism and judgmentalism. You won't go in and you won't let nobody else go in. You won't go all the way with Christ, but yet you're still hindering others. The Sadducees, on the other side of that, were the ones that lived by the law of Moses only. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in life after death. So the Sadducees were the ones that were, that were continually just jot for jot, tittle for tittle, uh, crossing the T, dotting the I's. They didn't deviate from what Moses said, not one iota. But they didn't add anything to it. They didn't add anything to it. And they wouldn't take nothing away. They wouldn't be expressive about it. They would just say, that's what it says and that's what it is. So they were, and they didn't believe in angels, miracles, resurrection, or anything. Hello? There's a lot of people that confess to be Christians that don't believe in those things. I can name you some prominent Christians right now that led great vast amounts of people that didn't believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead. They didn't believe that there is life after death. You can ask me after church who, who that is, and I'll tell you who it is. It might shock you. But the Sadducees, that's what they believed in the Pharisees. And Nicodemus was thought very highly of, of both groups. He was on the Sanhedrin court, the group that controlled the religious laws and regulations of all of Israel, who was at that time under the Roman Empire. Now watch this. I don't, I'm not, I don't want to get too far in history. I don't want to bore you. But here's the idea. Nicodemus was a highly educated expert in his field, highly liked by everybody, a religious to the core. And Jesus, and he comes to Jesus and he says, and I can read it, but he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, he said, we know that you're a great man from God, that you do great things. He said, but what, you know, what is all about this, you being Messiah stuff? And Jesus said, Nicodemus, uh, whose name was Conqueror, 
He said, you must be born again. He's talking to the most elite religious guy that represented the top of the echelon of all the, all the religious order of that day. And Jesus says, wait a minute, you knowing all those laws and having it all on the outside and having it all looking good, he said, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. And like I've said to your predecessors before you and those that are with you, he's saying, you must be born again. What does that mean, Jesus? Now, how many knows that John 3, 16, that that's where we have that famous verse. Can anybody quote it? John 3, 16. We had, we had, uh, did you hear that, Rob? We had, we had amplified King James. We had every version of the Bible. It was got quoted today. At least you're reading. I ain't going to kick on it. I love it. But here's the idea. Do you know who Jesus was talking to? He was talking to Nicodemus. All the way up into verse 22, Jesus is responding to Nicodemus about being born again about what it means. Hold that a minute. That's what it means. That's, it's, it's talking about, he's telling Nicodemus about all of what it, what it contrives of being born again. And how many of you know that we have in our mind that to be born again, you have to, you have to repeat the formula that we have practiced in church for centuries. The Book of Romans. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. But did you know that there's, I can think of at least three, right off the bat, three people that didn't ask Jesus to forgive them, and he forgave them. Take the woman with the, that was taking the act of adultery. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Where did she ask to be forgiven? Where did the guy come? Now, I'm not saying that you don't need to repent. You do need to repent. But it's, I know a lot of people that's come up here and said words, but they didn't repent. Because when you really repent, it changes your actions and your behavior. It's more than just talking the talk. It's walking the walk. I wish somebody hear what I'm saying today. I wish you'd let this get down inside there. It changes everything about you. It changes your attitude. It changes your behavior. When you really repent. So the, the guy that they tore the roof off, when he got in there, Jesus said, you, you know, hello, your sins be forgiven you. And it's like the guy looks over and goes like, who are you? Hello? And so you can understand that as well. You got the woman there, and then you got the thief on the cross. And I'm just thinking of people right off the top of my head that never asked this today. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, your paradise. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He forgave him with the guy, without the guy even asking him. But the heart, everybody say, it comes from the heart. You're, you can say words but not mean it. That's why somebody says, when all these people get saved, oh, thousands got saved. I don't know if they did or not. Ask me six months from now. And we'll see if their walk is in line with the word of God, if they really, truly gave their heart to the Lord. I mean, I hope when people come up and repent, your best hope is, I mean, you know, faith is substance things hoped for, evidence things not seen. So I'm hoping they really meant what they said, but time will tell. Time will tell. And I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't have altar calls and all that stuff. We should. But here's the idea. 
we have, we've thought we've had this thing locked down and when you start really getting into the nuts and bolts of the scripture, you see that the stuff that we've kind of leaned towards and grabbed a hold of really needs us to re-examine some stuff. Because real repentance, the word repentance, now being born again is also meaning that you are born from heaven, that you're born by the Spirit of God. Nicodemus said, by the way, his name was Conquer, and guess what he conquered with? He conquered with Pharisaic laws. He conquered and controlled through that. But Jesus come and said, you've got to be born again. You can't just have it your way. You've got to really get it inside here because that's what's going to change you. That's what's really going to make the difference. That's what's really going to make you love your enemies. That's what's really going to make you love one another. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, not by the way you dress, not by the way you comb your hair, not by the way your shoes shine, not any of this. If you said they're going to know you by the love that you have one towards another. And how many knows that's one thing that's really been lacking in the churches? I'm preaching, y'all ain't saying nothing. So here's Jesus, what's he doing? He's laying out this format. Do you see it? The wedding, the joy, the, the spirit, the water turned into wine, coming and being refreshed and being freed by the spirit of grace and goodness and righteousness of God, offered to all of humanity, come to change. And the third day, oh, the third day. Look at somebody say the third day. That's so significant. And then you come over here, and what's the first thing that Jesus does after he goes and he confronts, he makes the water into wine, he confronts the religious elites. He comes and confronts those that are experts in the fields and says, it's, it's more than this. It's more than just being able to quote a scripture. It's more than just knowing a jot or a tittle. It's more than just knowing a law. It's something you got to get down inside your heart because that's where it really changes you, Nicodemus. That's where it makes the difference. Come on, somebody. And I know that this is hard-pressed to get people convinced. And I knew it would be a little tough, but I didn't think you'd be that tough. Maybe you're listening. But here's the idea. And I, listen, we're so accustomed to be entertained in church that when, the, when it really comes down to learning something and seeing what Jesus really has done and the, the, the roadmap he laid out for us that, that I have overlooked for years, Brother Sean, that when you see him going to the marriage supper, turning that water into wine, and then coming over here and confronting the Pharisees and telling him that you must be born again, it's got to be more than just something you got in your head or something you do on a Sunday. It's got to become a life. It's got to become who you really are. Come on. And then what's the next story? Chapter 4. What's chapter 4 do? Chapter 4 goes from, listen, it goes from the marriage to Nicodemus, and then it goes into this walking to a well. He walks up to a well, and who's coming to this well? The Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman has a lot of issues, a lot of baggage, a lot of problems. Not only is she just a Samaritan or a Samaritan who is rejected by all Jews for being a Samaritan because they think they're, they're not full-blooded, they're half-breeds, and we don't like them, and they don't follow the laws like we do, and they don't do what we do, so, and they worship on a different mountain than we do. We know that you got to worship in Jerusalem, and they worship on some mountain over there. So we know that, and so we're kind of against them. So Jesus, and she, they, they, there's a well there, and you know the story, the well that their fathers dug. Jacob dug that well. And guess what that well represents? It represents centuries and decades and generations of religion that this Samaritan group of people followed. And Jesus, you know what he does? He comes and sits on that well. Why did, why did he go ahead and describe him sitting on the well? 
Because Jesus was saying, hey, right here, right now, today, I'm going to become the lid to this well. I'm going to become the seal on this well that you won't have to come back to this well anymore. That you won't get what you need out of this water, out of the depths of religion, the confines of religion. What you're going to get is going to come from me. Not David Hansel, but Jesus. And when he sat on that well, that's what that was setting or saying. Do you remember what he said to everyone? It says when, when Matthew said, and when he came to the mountain, he was set. S-E-T, set, when he was set. The word set is Santos. And it means, it means that he was in a position of authority. He set like a new Moses to give them a new laws, which now that's where we have the, what we call the Beatitudes. And so when he was set, Santos, he set in a position of authority. That's where the Catholic Church got the idea of sitting in their seat when they pontificate, when they give the laws or they oritate on Easter Sunday morning or prior to that. Are you following me? They were following what Jesus did and what Moses did. How you follow me? Does anybody hear me? So what, what's happening is Jesus come and he sat on that, he sat on that well saying, no longer you're going to need to come to this religious uh, 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 correspondence here. You're going to find something living on the inside of you. You're going to find, and he said, if you knew who it was that talked to you today, you wouldn't ask me, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't want to be, <laughs> how many knows what he was talking about? He said, you'd ask me of water. You'd ask me for a drink if you knew. And she said, well, give me this living water. Come on, somebody. Don't get distracted in here. Praise God. Pay attention to the, to the outline, to the flowing of the river. Come on, somebody. Look at your neighbor and say, look at what he's doing. He came to a woman that was outcast, a woman that was rejected by her society, a woman that was steeped in religion, just like the Pharisee, Nicodemus, and yet he's not dealing with a Pharisee over here in the Pharisaical terms, but he's dealing with a woman that is rejected by all those are religious, that has found her own self-religion and drinking out of this well that her forefathers. How many of us this time that we quit drinking out of the wells of just our forefathers and find the well for ourselves? find that deep well down inside when you find that deep well down inside you won't have to get answers from society you won't have to get the okay from religion you don't have to get the okay from anybody else it's God inside of you saying you are my hallelujah that you're my child I live within you I'm the new wine that's in this earthen vessel I'm the treasure that's been hid for centuries I'm the one that's inside of you now and if I live in you you're no longer dead but now you are alive look at somebody say I'm not dead anymore. Paul said it like this, Christ in me, the hope of glory, for it's Christ in me that lives, not I that live unto myself, but it's Christ in me that lives. Praise God, it's not me that does what I'm doing, it's the God inside of me. He gives me the strength and the power. It's the depth of his spirit, the new wine that entered in. Now I don't have to bow down, praise God, to the pharisaical spirit. I no longer have to feel like an outcast. I no longer have to live at a well side now I found something that springs up inside of me that is a well springing up into eternal life do you see it do you see what God is high five your neighbor and say there's more to me than meets your eye now I don't want to skip this part I want to, I want to dig this out can I 
Let me get my, you know, you know those people, those, uh, what do they call those people that dig in rocks and stuff? What do they call them? Let's get the, let's get the pick and the little, little spike out and dig around this rock. You want to? Now watch what happens here. So you go from the face of God in Christ, John 1. Water to wine, John 2. Nicodemus, John 3. The Samaritan woman, John 4. Now look what happens here. I, I'm going to close here in a minute. But John 4, look what Jesus says to her. He said, well, since you've understood this, he said, go and get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, oh, you've been honest with me, Samaritan. He said, not only do you do not have a husband, you've had five. And the one you're with right now, he's not even, you're living with him. You're just, you're, you're with him. Now, when I read that, something slapped me in the face. Now, us men, we don't have five husbands. If you do, I want to pray for you. Here, but here's the idea. Five. Everybody say five. What is it that controls your life before you give your heart to Christ? Your five senses. Your five senses, your touch, your taste, your smell, your seeing, your feeling. And who's the one that you're living with, that you live with constantly? It's the fallen Adamic nature. That's the sixth one. Are you following me? What is it that controls our lives, all of our lives, until we get born again, until we come in? We're living in Christ. It's those touching, tasting, feeling, those things that the flesh controls our lives with. You know that song they used to sing? I hooked on a feeling. You know, most of you. got to take care of her, will you? <laughs> and we act like we're, we're away from that, but we're still hooked on feelings. But the just aren't hooked on feelings. They walk by faith. It's not by what you feel, what you hear, what you see. You got to keep walking when you don't even see it. When you don't even feel it. You got to keep walking. Look at someone and say, keep walking. What, what did Jesus say to Peter the day that, and I'm closing, what did Jesus say to Peter? Listen to what he said to him. Peter, who do men say that I am? He said, well, some said you're the Christ. Some say you're uh, John, uh, one of the prophets raised from the dead. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the other. And Jesus says, okay, it's good what they say, but Peter, what do you say? And Peter says, well, Lord, he said, I've walked with you for a couple of years now. And he said, I know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that means the anointed one, Christ. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, watch what he says. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. But my, in other words, he's saying, you didn't get this through the five senses. You didn't get this through the flesh. And you didn't get this through 
the intellect that come through hello, the DNA. Come on, somebody. Do you, do you remember when, when, they, when Jesus was telling them, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll raise it up? They laughed at Jesus because they thought, yeah, it takes 46 years to raise up a temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? They didn't realize he was talking about his self. Come on, somebody. And here's another little nugget for you. Every chromosome, every cell in your body has 46 chromosomes in it. The thumbprint of God is in your life in more ways than you can imagine. More ways than you can think about. So Jesus says flesh, five senses, and blood, intellect, has not revealed this to you. He said, but it come through the Spirit of God. So the revelation of, of salvation and who he is doesn't come just by reading a book. It doesn't come just by simply saying and repeating a formula that somebody gives us to repeat. It comes by the Spirit of God coming to you and getting face to face with you. And once it comes face to face with you, you can't live under yourself anymore. For no man has seen God and lived. Oh, I wish somebody hear me right now. No man has seen God and lived unto himself any longer after that. Once you truly are exposed to the face of reality of heaven, it changes everything about you. We can have revelation without relationship. Hello, somebody. You can, I can give you revelations today, but until you step into that, knowing that you know, that you know, that you know, and seeing him face to face, you'll never fully understand the whole qualification of what it means to have new wine, what it means to have uh, Jesus saying, you got to be born again, what it means to having him say to the Samaritan woman, you've been married, you've been brought down to this position. Now, this woman was deeply religious because she argued about the place of worship. Some say that it's over here in the mountain and others say it's over in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, woman, I'm telling you right now, it's here and now that it's neither in Jerusalem nor in that mountain that you're going to worship God or at that well because I've done sealed the well off. He said, but it's out of your heart you're going to worship God. And it's going to be no matter where you are, no matter where you're going, no matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, when it really gets inside of you, you're going to worship God. You're going to give him the praise no matter what. You're going to give him thanks. No How many of you have seen people that no matter where they are or what they're going through or what kind of hell befalls them or what kind of battle comes against them that somehow or another they dig down deep and they don't go to the well, they don't go back to the Pharisaical law, that they resolve themselves to drink that wine that come out. Oh, hello, somebody. Praise God that Jesus put inside of them and they dig down way down deep and all of a sudden you see them pulling themselves up out of that pit. Praise God. It's the Spirit of God. It's Christ in them, the hope of glory. The doctor says you're going to die, but they lean over and grab a hold of where it says you shall live and not die. I 
with somebody, you're sick, but by his stripes I'm healed. They keep grabbing a hold of that word of God and pulling it and causing it to come alive inside of them. Come on, somebody. I wish you'd look at somebody and say, there's something inside of me that won't listen. We're all facing odds right now. We're all facing horrible times. We're all facing insurmountable, what looks like insurmountable odds. We're all facing the hell on earth. We're all facing World War III. We're all facing trouble sometimes. We're all facing backlash. We're all facing the past. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I wish somebody would jump to your feet and say, I don't have a quitter in me. I've got a conqueror in me. The life that I live, it's not my own. It's through Jesus Christ. Come on and give him some praise. Hallelujah. Can I have five minutes more? I, I, I got a bunch, but I want to lay out one more chapter for you. Do you see the progression? Do you see what's happening? You see how Jesus has stepped into this? He went from revealing himself to John saying, I'm revealing the face of the Father, face to face. He turns the water into wine. He takes the law and turns it into the spirit, to love, to joy, to peace on the third day. And then he goes and he, he corrects a Pharisee, an expert in the law, an expert that thinks he's got it all figured out. Then he confronts a little woman at a well that has rejected herself, but yet she's hanging on to religion that she has been accustomed to. And she finds out, listen, when she finds out what Jesus says to her, when she really came face to face to him and it was revealed to her, guess what it did? It changed her. She, don't lo she no longer lived like a Samaritan. She no longer lived like a broken down woman. She no longer lived like, I'm gonna say it again, she no longer lived like a broken down woman. She no longer lived like somebody that was, that was, that was cast aside. All, even though they might have thought that, she no longer lived that. That's what she didn't display any longer. She didn't display that any longer. The, the Bible says that she went running into town. She passed up Jesus' disciples who were coming back with lunch. And she said, I don't, I need, I don't need lunch. i got to live in word. Inside of me, it changed me. It changed my direction. It changed my thinking. It changed my mind. And she went into town saying, hey, everybody come and see a man who told me all I ever did. Come on and tell, meet this man out here who knows everything. He's the Messiah. He's the king. Her name was Fontany. It's a Greek word, Fontany. Hello, somebody. And if you look up the, the history on Fontany, she was, one of the, she was the first evangelist that went outside of their territory and caused thousands to be baptized to such a point that one of the kings that she encountered on her journeys as a missionary said, uh, try to tempt her. Get her away from this message. She's turning the city upside down with her and her disciples and her two sons. They're, she's flipping everything upside down. And they said, put, put silver and gold and just put a room full of it and bring her in there and tell her it's all her if she'll just deny this Jesus. Come on, somebody. You talk about being persuaded. And it was just from one encounter at a well. This woman, they took her in the room and she said, nope, I don't want silver, don't want gold. Praise God, you can't buy what I've got, but I'll sure enough give it to you. Praise, hallelujah. Oh, my God, my God. 
give me five women that are that convinced and they'll turn Richmond upside down. Give me two, praise God. Praise, hallelujah. Give me two who are convinced of the power of God. Give me one that's with that kind of conviction. Praise God, and they'll flip. My God, I wish somebody. You can't, you can't buy it out. You can't sell it out. This is not for sale. She was so convincing that she even caused that king's family to be baptized. And they put her in prison. And they killed her family in front of her. And they said, you're ready to give up? And she said, not yet. They killed some more. They said, you're ready to quit? She said, you just, you just, you just made my resolve even greater. I'm not quitting. Because if I quit now, they died for nothing. Come on. So they finally tortured her to the point that she laid down and started singing a song and giving praise to God and just slipped on out, giving God the praise. But before she died, thousands were baptized, saved, and some of them are still living in Iran, Syria, Iraq, and Pakistan to this day. There's still a plaque on a church in Iran that bears the name Fontney, the missionary that came straight from Jesus that changed the world. Can I tell you, if we could just have somebody that could meet him face to face, that experiences him like they've never experienced anything else in their life. It's become something that can't be bought and can't be sold. Hallelujah. Here's the other chapter. Chapter 5. I'm going to quit. Chapter 5. Now, you see the progression, right? We've gone from Jesus being revealed as deity, as God, Christ, with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And then he begins to reveal his character. John is saying he's come to reveal his face to face, the existence of God on the earth. So Jesus comes, he turns the water into wine. Next chapter, he confronts a Pharisee. Next chapter, he confronts this Samaritan woman. Hello, somebody. Are you following? Or, or Nicodemus. And then he, the Samaritan woman. Chapters 2, 3, 4. Are you, are you following the, the progression? Now, go with me. Are you following it? Does it make sense to you? Yes? No? I want you to get it. I want you to see what's happening. And I'm not taking you all the way through the whole book of John today. But I want you to see something else. This is good stuff. Watch this. Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Gospel of John. From Galilee, Jesus returned to Jerusalem to observe one of the Jewish feasts. Inside the city, <laughs> near the Sheep Gate, there was a pool called, in Aramaic, Listen to this, what this pool's name is. The house of loving kindness. The pool that we call Bethesda. The pool that they're waiting for. <clears throat> the angel will come down and trouble the water. You've read the story. They're waiting for the angel to come down and trouble the water. They would bring people that were broken, crippled, maimed. They had all kinds of issues and problems in their life. And from the sheep gate to the pool, there was a canopy. 
like this roof being over your head. From, from the entering in the sheep gate to the pool, like from the back door or the front door to the platform. There's a canopy over your head. And it's called the house of loving kindness. And all those that were broken, my God, they were broken, they were crippled, they were blind, they were halt, and they all waited for some angelic being to come down and trouble the water. But when Jesus walks in, he looks at a man laying there that had been laying there for 38 years, right? Go to Leviticus 2 and 14, and guess what? how long that they wandered in the wilderness? 38 years. What was he saying? He was saying, and guess what that canopy represented? You can, I'm not afraid for you to go look this up. That canopy represented the law of Moses. And what it was saying was, was the law of Moses. It will get you almost there. But it really doesn't birth healing and deliverance from your pains. But I've come today. Jesus said, I've come today. And I see you laying there. I see you laying there. You've been there for 38 years. And you're waiting on somebody. But it has arrived. I see you there. Look at somebody and say, God sees you there. He sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in your despair. He sees you in your frustration. He sees you in your divorce. He sees you in your financial troubles. He sees you in whatever situation you're in, the loss of life or loved one. He sees you laying there. And the guy, listen, the guy came to be healed. I'm getting ready to let you go. The guy came to be healed. That's why he came there. So in the English, we read where it says, and he says to him, Wouldest thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed? That's what it says in English, Sister Rose. But you know what it says in the Aramaic in the actual Hebrew? Here's what it says in the... See, it's a question in English. But in the Aramaic and the Hebrew, it's not a question. Here's what he's saying to this man that laid there for 38 years. He's saying, if you can change the way you're thinking right now, your healing's already done. If you can change, y'all didn't get it. If you can change the way you're thinking right now, you no longer have to be submitted to that brokenness. You no longer have to be a slave of sin. You no longer have to be a slave of, of an addiction. You no longer have to be a slave to anything that's been hovering over your life. If you can change the way you're, you're, you're thinking right now, I've come to let you know I've already brought you out. This is the house of loving kindness, and I've come to bring you out. I've come to deliver you. And if you can accept it right now, if you can receive it right now, I've come to bring you into a house of loving kindness. I've come to heal your marriage. I've come to heal you. I've come to deliver you. I've come to set you free. I've come to roar against that darkness in your life. I've come to tell you. I've come to set you free. I've come to deliver you. I was somebody. Hallelujah. I've come to roar against that darkness in your life. I've come to say no longer are you a slave to sin. I've come to let you know 
that it's your moment. If you can change the way you're thinking, you're not a victim, you're a victor. You're not, my God, you're not, you're not just another casualty in the war of life. You're the more than a conqueror. I've given you, I've given you the victory today that's above everything else in your life. I'm closing, I promised you. Can I borrow? Can I borrow that? Can I borrow? Can I borrow this? You know what it says? It says that he, that that man that was sick and infirm for 38 years. It says that, obviously he took what Jesus said. It got inside of him, and he said, "I don't need somebody. I'm not waiting on a certain evangelist." I'm not waiting on my favorite preacher. I'm grabbing a hold of what it says in the word. And it says that he rolled up his pallet, his blanket. He rolled it up. See, the Sabbath wasn't made for man or man made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And it rolled it up and he walked out of there healed. Guess what he was going to do from that day on? He was putting that Sabbath, that peace, that rest of God under his arm and walking out with the peace of God in his life forever. Never to go back and lay down under that mat again. Never to go back and succumb to that again. He walked in the peace of God and the Lord saying, if you'll understand what I'm saying to you today, you'll never walk under that bondage, that lie, that torment, praise God, that baggage anymore. I've come to bring you to the house of loving kindness. I've come to bring you into the fellowship of who I am. I want to meeting you face to face and I want you to understand I'm the God that's above everything else in your life. If you can grab a hold of that, run to this altar with your hands raised and say thank you, Lord, for roaring
prophet spoke. Come on. Our Messiah, flesh and bone. Lord, you alone are worthy to open up the scroll. Like the lamb he suffered, but the lion has a Lord. Yes, Lord. Be raised up. 